As it says, we do start this great new series called Jesus Changes Everything, full stop, which I'll come on to in a moment. And for those of you who are regulars at Oasis, you'll be thinking, Adrian, what on earth have you done? You've basically enabled us to label a series where one of the words within it, you really struggle to say. Because if you're regular here, you know that I struggle with the word everything, and that I tend to say everything. Now, some of you are thinking, I didn't know you knew that I knew that. But I do. I know that there are a few things that I say that people like to impersonate. I know that people like to do my pointy hands. I know also that people like to say the word everything to remind people about who I am, as well as the fact that you'll also say, oh, Adrian, you know, very good. I know that there's those things about you. So if you like, this series is hopefully going to help me be able to say the word everything. Now, in it, you'll therefore see me pause often when I need to say the word, just to try and remember if I'm saying it in the correct way. Also, just to flag it up, and we can laugh, the moments where I get a bit excited are those moments where, in essence, I'm, my filter of what I'm saying isn't quite there as much as it should be, and therefore the potential of me saying everything is going to happen at those moments. And that's okay to laugh at, and I'm okay. And if you want to toddle up every week how many times I say everything to everything, we can do that, and I'm okay with it. Um, but before we get in there, I wanted to start by telling a story, a story uh, that came out of a gathering I was in uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, on a Thursday. One of the, I think, unbelievable privileges of being uh, released by you as a community to serve you as a community uh, throughout my week is that I get to devote myself sometimes to prayer. I think that is an unbelievable privilege. I think that there are moments that I get to gather with others and say, actually, what we're going to do for a day now is pray. Uh, and I don't take that for granted. I don't think it's a kind of, well, of course, I think it's an unbelievable privilege. And so a couple of weeks ago, I got to gather uh, in a room in Milton Keynes with uh, around 200 or so uh, other church leaders uh, within the family that we're part of called Catalyst. And we basically just got to pray for a day, pray for you, pray for our nation, uh, pray for the nations. And it was an unbelievable privilege. And within that day, a guy kind of stepped forward to share something of his story. And he did it because he said, I want to encourage you. Uh, and he said, I, look, and I can't even remember his name, to be honest. I met, I'd met him briefly before, and he said, Adrian, can I just share something? I said, of course you can. And he came, and he said, look, I'm from Brazil. And he said, I'm over for a year, and I, I really wanted to say two things to you as a bunch of people. And the two things he said so impacted me, I thought, I want to tell you guys about this. And so he said, I, I want to say two things. The first thing's this. I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you to you as representatives of the UK, because you sent someone to my nation with the gospel that causes me to be able to be here today. He said, firstly, I want to say thank you. And he's kind of welling up at that point. And he said, the second thing I want to say is the gospel has power. He says, I know the gospel has power because I'm stood here today. You see, the gospel has power because it's caused people to get saved. And he said, many people have been saved in my nation. In actual fact, many people today are being saved in my nation to the wonder of who Jesus is through his life, death, and resurrection. He said, but not only has it saved people, but it's also planted churches. And he said, I actually am part of a church that was started by someone from your nation. 
that has continued through three generations now, of which I am the third. And I get to say thank you because the gospel has power and it's caused my church to be established and is continuing to plant churches. He said, but not only has the gospel had power in terms of saving people in respect to planting churches, he then said, but also thirdly, it's changed society. He said, my church has been involved in starting hospitals and starting schools. He said, society has changed through the gospel being brought to our nation. And it's that that I want us to get hold of. You see, the gospel isn't kind of a fluffy word. It's a word that has content. It's a word that is concrete. See, the gospel is ultimately Jesus. Jesus is life, death, and resurrection. And as we've kind of earmarked this series, and that life, death, and resurrection has changed everything full stop. And it's so important that we add the full stop as we're going to go on to see. And we're going to explore through the book of Colossians of how Jesus has changed everything. Because as we do that, it's going to do you good. It's going to do me good. As we see more and more of who Jesus is and more and more of what Jesus wants to do. Because, you see, the story that we're being told of in Brazil is a story that you could tell of this nation in our past. But it isn't a story of history. It's a story of the present and the future, of what God is longing to do through people like you and people like me. And therefore, we're going to look at this book of Colossians because Paul wanted the original readers to get hold of this truth. See, there are other things that were going on uh, in Colossae or Colossae, whichever way you want to see it, read it, and different people will translate it in those two ways. And, and in it, this, these different kind of teachings that were starting to impact this bunch of believers. And it's not clear as to kind of what these teachings were, because Paul doesn't address it head on, but rather kind of points to Jesus and wants to emphasize some things about Jesus in order that he'd cause the believers in this place to mature as that was Paul's longing for them. They would mature in who they are through who they are in Jesus. And so what we find is in Colossians, there's a couple of moments where Paul kind of reveals the wonder of how Jesus has changed everything. And so you find in Colossians 1.20, where Paul writes, through him, that's Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Paul wanted them to understand that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection wasn't limited. That through him, he is restoring, reconciling, redeeming everything in the whole of the cosmos. But also, he wanted to see Colossians 2, 9, 10. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. But Paul, again, wanted these hearers, wants us to hear today that actually who Jesus is, is the fullness of everything. Everything. It's already happened. <laughs> that in Jesus, he's the fullness of everything. And through him, everything is to be fulfilled. And see, that's why this series is entitled, Jesus Changes Everything, Full Stop. I'd actually toyed with, and we batted it around as a team, of just calling the series, Full Stop. But I 
thought probably it wasn't going to lend itself to something that people think, remember, oh yeah, full stop, that sounds catchy, let's turn up for that one. But the full stop is highly important. Because what it does is it reveals everything of what Paul is seeking to do through this letter. It's saying that Jesus changes everything full stop. In other words, that's where it ends. It isn't that we ever add on to that sentence and limit what Jesus has changed everything for. And so we limit it either by saying, oh yeah, he's changed everything for me. That is true, but that's not the whole of it. It's that that's the full stop. It is everything, the whole of the cosmos. But it's also that we don't add to what's needed more than Jesus. Because Paul wanted to be clear that Jesus is enough to change everything. And we don't need to add to him. And through this series, we're going to see that we never need to add to Jesus. And we also never need to limit him. And this year, we promised that this was a year of adventure, an adventure that we're taking in terms of moving, but adventure ultimately that is all about Jesus. And so we're kind of ending this year in this series, in this book, getting to enjoy more of who Jesus is and the adventure he calls each and every one of us into of knowing him more, of understanding how he wants to shape our lives more. But more than that, allowing him to fill our gazes with how he wants to use us to reveal the purposes that he has of changing everything. And so it's that in mind that we're going to look at this letter of Colossians. I'd encourage you over the coming weeks, read through it from beginning to end. It's not a big letter. Uh, Therefore, you can do it in one sitting or you could do it over a week. And it'll just do us good to be living in this because it's going to shape us. Now, maybe you're here and say, well, Adrian, that's really good for people who know God, but I'm at someone who's trying to discover who God is. Well, as we get through this week on week, you're going to discover more and more of who God is and how God longs to change your life. And so with that all in mind, let's dig straight in. And we're going to start where you would expect to start, which is at the beginning. We're literally going to look at two verses, which is in Colossians 1, verses 1 to 2. And in this, these two verses, we're going to get introduced to the writer, the recipients. We're also going to get shown a greeting, which is how any letter in this day and age would have been written. But within the greeting, within the writer, within the recipient, we're going to find something that is good for us to get hold of. And what we're going to discover is this is a letter of warm friendship. This isn't a letter of rebuke. This is a letter of, of a writer writing saying, I'm deeply concerned for you, deeply for you, deeply thankful for you. And as we're going to see that though this is written written for a specific group of people, actually it's written in a way that actually there's something for all of us to take hold of. So let's read verses 1 to 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. So you immediately get it, it's just straight in. The writer, Paul, who's there and says, hey, I'm not alone, and we're going to find that out by the end of the letter. There's a whole gang of people with him. In actual fact, we're going to find out there's a whole gang of people hanging out in the most unlikely of places, a prison cell. And yet they're there with Paul, and Paul's writing to a specific group of people. 
And he wants them to know, look, I'm not alone. I've got people with you. I've actually got a really good friend of mine, Timothy. Timothy's someone who he's going to say, actually, I'm going to be sending him to you for your encouragement. But Paul's writing in some ways, introducing himself to them. This isn't a Paul who'd been there personally and established this church. Actually, this is a church that had been established through Paul's ministry, but not by Paul in person. This is a church that actually had been planted by a guy called Epaphras, who'd heard what Paul had said, had been discipled by Paul about who Jesus was, and then thought, this is too good, I've got to take this back to my friends and my family. And so did that, and out of that, this church in Colossae kind of got planted and established. And Epaphras, having done that, goes back to Paul and reports everything that's been going on. And Paul, out of love for this church, like writes to them. And the first way in writing is to introduce himself. And he introduces himself by saying, hi, I'm Paul, apostle of Jesus. Why did he say that? It isn't kind of like a badge that's saying, who am I? Gold badge, apostle. No, it's him wanting them to understand something about where his identity rests, where his authority rests. That This was a guy whose writings say, actually, who I am is one appointed by Jesus, the risen one. The only people who could use the word, the big word, apostle with the capital A, were those that had seen Jesus, the resurrected one, and been appointed by him to then go and reveal his, the message of who he was. And Paul says, I'm one of those. And then he carries on and says, by the will of God. And this is really important for us to get hold of. See, Paul doesn't throw away words like I can. Sometimes I can just throw out words and I can cascade them out of my mouth. And some of them make sense and some of them don't. For Paul, he's writing and he's using every word to make it count. And so when he writes to him and says, hey, I'm someone appointed by Jesus by the will of God. He wants them to understand that what he's about to share with them isn't his wisdom. Isn't him writing, saying, I've been around the block a few times, and what I've come to realize is this. Here's your 10 points for a good life following Jesus. And he's saying, no, what I'm about to write to you is part of the extension of the will of God. What God's will had been that we saw so eloquently revealed uh, through Moby's prayer, from the very beginning of the Bible through to the end, Actually, this is now part of it, that through Jesus risen from the dead, he's now caused others to get hold of this message to then reveal more and more of God's will. And Paul's writing saying, actually, what you're about to read, and just not wise sayings, now this is part of an extension of the will of God. And therefore, as we read the words of Paul, it's actually that we can grapple with them thinking, okay, this has some relevance to the people in Colossae, but it also has some relevance to us in Birmingham, 21st century, because this is us getting hold of the will of God, the revelation that God wants to give us through Paul, which is pretty exciting. But what I want to do, actually, for this moment, isn't just dwell on kind of who Paul is and his identity, but actually focus in on verse 2. And zoom in there, because I believe there's a truth that Paul reveals to the church of the Colossians that Paul wants to reveal the truth to us here at Oasis, that is true for every believer. And for us to understand that, I want us to see that this, that Paul writes, is all about location, location, location. If Channel 4 has taught us nothing else, it is 
The location, location, location matters. And Paul understood that. He understood it for you and he understood it for me. You see, where are you living from is a fundamental question. Where am I living from? That's what Paul's asking in these, this opening verse and wanting to remind the readers of where their men are be living from. Because actually where we live from defines who we are and what we do. And Paul understood that. And he wanted this church to understand it. He wants us to understand it. And in it, what we're going to discover is that Paul wants us to see this location, location, location isn't simply a, a kind of emphasis of the same thing. But actually, he's going to mark out three different locations, three specific locations that as those who've centered our lives on Jesus, we are to live from and live in. Now, if you're not someone who centered your life on Jesus, actually, this reveals what it looks like to center your life on Jesus and how it then redefines and reshapes your life. But for many of us in this room, we have. And so the three locations we're going to look at are in Christ, in family, and in this city of Birmingham. So firstly then, in Christ. Paul writes, verse 2, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace be to you from God our Father. Paul wants us to understand that at that moment where we center our lives on Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, when we put our trust in who he is and what he's done, that at that point, our location changes. We become individuals who are now forever in Christ, in Jesus. Now, at that point, we can then think, well, okay, but what does that really mean? Well, I'm going to tell us a bit about what that means in a moment, but before we get there, I think there's a challenge in it. And why Paul wants to remind us continuously that we're in Christ is that though that is a true declaration of our new location, of where we're to live from, we can so easily find ourselves living from a different postcode. We can so easily say, oh yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus in Christ. And yet actually, if we're truthful about who we are and where we're living from, we can find ourselves living actually from potentially a mixture or primarily from three different locations. And those are that we can find ourselves living in our past, our future, or our now. See, you can so easily find ourselves living in our past, and that can either be continuously feeling like we're, we're shaped by the guilt and shame that we know from what we've done or what's been done to us. Or potentially thinking, oh yeah, but I remember five years ago, that, those were the glory days. That was like me and my A game. That was me amazing. And we're continuously reminiscing about it. And we find ourselves continuously living and saying, hey, let me tell you about myself. Let me tell you about Adrian Hurst in 1998. Whew, what a vintage. And we find ourselves continuously living from that place. Or maybe it's not the vintage year. Maybe it is just we live thinking, actually, what happened to me then is always going to define who I am now. Maybe it's not our past. Maybe it's our future. But we think, oh, yeah, but... You know, when it all comes together, next year, that's going to be the year. Everything's going to be in line. 
the stars will be in line. There's everything is not the stars will be in line. We know we're not going to be with that. But we think, oh yeah, when all of that's together, I'm finally going to be who I'm meant to be. But maybe it's not the, the best version of ourselves. Maybe it's more actually, we look at the future and we think, man, I don't know what's going to store. I don't know what's going to happen. Actually, I'm immobilized by what the future is going to have. And we find ourselves continuously living, looking at the future, thinking, I, I can't move from this position. Or maybe it's the now. It isn't the past, it isn't the future, it's the now of us saying, actually, just with what I'm dealing with at the moment, how could it not shape who I am? And I'm not belittling our past or our future or the now. Because believe me, I have moments where I can tend to live in the future and the now. I, to be honest, I don't struggle as much with the past. That's not where my battleground is. My battleground's more here in, in the now and the future where I continuously think, oh yeah, but when that happens, when that happens. Or in the now of, man, all of these things are coming at me. Like, like this is, this, this, these things that are happening this moment today, that's what's defining me. And to that, I, we, I think, need to hear these words of Paul as an encouragement. Say, actually, once you've centered your life in Jesus, you're not to be defined by past, future, or now. You're defined now as one who's in Christ. Now, the thing is, that doesn't belittle the battles we've got with our past, our future, and our now. It rather means that we get to understand that it is a battle. A battle where we get to understand that we have a new location where we are located. And we now need to remember that location and what it stands for. And actually allow ourselves to have our minds renewed. We looked at that, didn't we, through the well-being series. Romans 12, 1 to 2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Have our minds renewed as to the location we are now found. Which means we get to know the freedom of our past, our future, and the now. As we get to dwell and live in who we are in Christ. So what does that look like? Well, Paul kind of reveals a bit more and he says, actually what it looks like is it, it means that we're those that are shaped by the Father's grace and peace. That being in Christ means we're shaped by grace and peace. What does grace mean? It means that we get this free gift of life through Jesus. Nothing earned. Nothing that we've sought to do. No, it's all in Jesus. Go back a slide just for a moment because everyone's reading this. We'll get to that in a moment. That, um, we get this life in Jesus, but we also get this free gift of grace. We get peace, and peace is that whole word that means wholeness. That being in Christ promises us a free life characterized by who Jesus is. And a life that is governed by his peace. In other words, that we can know wholeness of the whole of who we are. And therefore, what does that look like? Well, that looks like that slide that just popped up. Which is everything we looked at in the series we were in a year or so ago in Ephesians. Why am I linking it back? Well, for those of you who weren't here at that point, go back and listen to that series. It was a good series. It's quite a long series, but it was a good one. Worth doing over the Christmas period. If you were in the series, I want us to say we're already understanding something of what it looks like to live in Christ because we've been looking at this. 
And therefore, it has substance. It does mean that we are chosen, blameless and shameless, Ephesians 1.4. That we're loved, predestined, adopted, Ephesians 1.5. That we're redeemed, forgiven, Ephesians 1.7. That we have a purpose, Ephesians 1.9. That we have power, Ephesians 1.19. That we're God's handiwork, Ephesians 2.10. That we're accepted forever, unconditionally, Ephesians 2.13. See, that's the reality of what it looks like to be in Christ. That's what grace and peace towards us look like. And it's that that we're to live from. Not our past, not our future, or the issues that we're facing now, but rather from in Christ. Which for each and every one of us means we have to ask ourselves, are we living from this place? I tell you what, the only way we can is that we need to continuously be remembering it. Remembering what it truly means now that we're in Christ. And allowing the knowledge of this with the help of the Holy Spirit to renew where we live from. So firstly, our location is in Christ. Secondly, our location is in family. Colossians 1-2, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ... Grace and peace to you from God and Father. Brothers and sisters. Why does Paul throw that in? Because he wants these believers, he wants us to understand, we're not any old bunch of people, we're a family. He says brothers and sisters. Now, the problem with brothers and sisters is, I grew up in church in the 80s. That's what I did, I grew up at that point. And the translation of brothers and sisters in that moment was, gather as many times as possible together and hold hands and sing with brothers and sisters. The thing is, however many times we held hands awkwardly with other people and sang with brothers and sisters, it didn't cause me to think, way, we're part of family. I just thought, this is twee and this is awful. So I thought it'd be good today in this moment. (laughs) Not at all. Here's the other issue in terms of family, and this is one that I want to say sorry for. I don't sometimes emphasize this one of family. One, because of the tweeness of brothers and sisters, but two, because of the negative connotations that family have for many in this room. Because the reality is this, for some of us in this room, family isn't something we ever wanted to be part of again because it's the most destructive environment we've ever been in. And so, to be honest, I tend to use the word community. Do you, you hear that, don't you? I use the word community a lot. But what that does is it loses sight of who we're meant to be. We're a family. And there is a huge difference between a community and a family. And I'm sorry where I cause us to miss out on the difference between community and family out of a desire to not cause harm for people. See, the reality is this, that for some of us, family was incredibly negative, and that was never God's desire for you. But it wasn't at that point that we then jettisoned what God had designed in family. It's rather that we're meant to be something, we're meant to reveal something together, that actually part of the healing of what we've known in the natural of family, that of who we are together reveals what God's heart is for family. Because we're not simply a community. 
A community is a bunch of people who kind of like each other, maybe, and and connected probably around a cause. A family is a group of people who are deeply connected by their parentage and their love. And Paul wants us to understand we're not any old family. We're a family where we have a God who is our father. We have an older brother who is Jesus. And they're therefore to characterize who we are. And therefore, we're to understand that we are located in family together. Which means that the kind of family we are is like this, and we haven't got time today to look at this all through Scripture, but the kind of family you are is characterized by an honoring, a loving, a forgiving, a belonging, a sharing, a protecting, and a providing. And that's what we're to give ourselves to. We're not moving to a building so we can say, hey, we look more legit, we've got stained glass windows. No, we're moving because we want a home, because we're a family, and we're building something together, a place where we seek to honor one another. Well, you say people who come and think, oh, but I've got nothing to be honoured. I know you have in this family. We honour everyone. We seek to believe the best. We seek to will the best in them. We love unconditionally. We forgive. I'll tell you what, that one, let's point at it. Woo, that one's the big one. I'll tell you what, that's the beauty of family. Family means we're going to rub each other up the wrong way sometimes. We're going to offend each other. We're going to put our foot in it. We're going to say things that we didn't quite mean. And it's going to be misinterpreted. Or sometimes we're going to say something we did mean, but it was wrong to say it. And in those moments where we're offended or where we've caused offense, we get to be the beauty of family together to reveal who God is as family, who's one who continuously forgives. And we get to be those who apologize quickly and forgive quickly. I don't know if you've ever thought of that. We have this unbelievable privilege of being family to forgive one another. To know that sometimes because we're human, we're going to fall short. But in it, it allows us this moment to forgive. Not to say, that's it, stuff this, I'm out. That's not family. It's not how God intended it. No, it's, I see this through. I forgive. And then we've got sharing, protecting, providing. Man, what an environment to know that this is a bunch of people, look around the room for a moment, who are seeking to share, to protect, and provide for you. That's what this family's about. Now, why do Lucy and I open up our home every couple of, a couple of times a year? Because we can't open it up all the time, because our house isn't that big. But when we generally open it up and say, everyone come round, what we're trying to do is say, hey, in this moment, ours is yours. There's nothing hidden from us, of us to you. This is who we are. We don't have everything in order. It isn't always perfect, but it's just who we are. And this is the kind of family we want to be part of. Everyone's welcome. See, building family is costly because it costs something of us, sharing something of ourselves, opening up ourselves, but also offering ourselves. But that's where we're located now because of Jesus. And I think we've got some stuff to learn on this one. I think I've got some stuff to learn on this one. And I want to say I, I make myself accountable to you. I'm not going to shy away any longer from the word family. Because it's who we are. And I tell you what, we're living in the city of people who long to know the kind of family that we are. Which brings me on to the last location. We're located in Birmingham. See, Paul writes and he says to these guys to God's holy people in Colossae. 
He wants them to understand that who they are in their location matters. They're not any old bunch of people. They're not just any old family. They're God's holy people in that place. They're God's people that he has set aside to be in that place for purpose. And what was true for them is true for us. Whether you like it or not, God has called you to this city at this moment and has placed you here as part of his plan and purpose in order that we could do good in this city, in order that we could be his people in this city, along with many others who are seeking to do that. And what we're therefore to do in this city is we're to be those that extend and reveal his grace and his peace. That we simply get to live lives knowing that we're here for purpose. We're not here because God's punishing us. However much you don't like Birmingham, God isn't punishing you. God calls you uniquely here because he wants people to know how wonderful he is. And he thought, you know, the best vessel to cause that to happen is you. That's crazy, isn't it? I look around and think, surely there's better ones. This is a city of over a million people. Surely it's better than me. I'm probably a Hamlet type of person, really. In terms of the impact I could have, it says, no, I want to use someone like you, Adrian. The foolish to shame the wise. <laughs> I want to use you. Why? Because through you, in this moment, I can reveal my grace and peace. And the same is true for you. We're here to cause people to taste and see that he's good. We're here to show that Jesus changes everything full stop. Which brings us back to location, location, location. Where are you living from? Shall we stand? Close our eyes. Just with your eyes closed, I just want us to just ask that question. Just say, where am I living from at the moment? Am I living from a location in Christ? Am I living from a location in family? Am I living from a location in this city? And just for different ones of us, it's going to mean different things. To be honest, there'll be some of us who'll be, yes, 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 yes. Great. And the moment I'll pray, God bless you. But for some of us, we know that it's going to be no. Maybe no to all of them, maybe no to some of them. And in it, it's for us saying, not my will, but yours. It actually gets us back where we left off in worship. It's saying, it is well with my soul. Not my will, Jesus, but yours. And I want to live in the wellness you offer me by saying I live in the location that you've placed me. So I'm going to do two things. I'm going to pray for all of us collectively, just that God will bless us. And then if particularly you want me to pray in terms of that second one of saying, do you know what, I think it's a no for me on some of these. Yet I want to come to that point of saying, God, not my will, but yours. I choose to live in your location. At that point, I'm going to just say, just put your hand up where you are. I want to pray for you. I'm just going to pray for all of us. Jesus, I thank you for your work amongst us today. I thank you we're not any old bunch of people. I thank, we, I thank you that we're yours.
And as a result of that, that causes us to live differently, to know we're here for a different purpose. And I pray, Jesus, that we'd live in the, the fruit of our location, location, location this coming week, Jesus. Amen. I just want to pray then, just with all our eyes closed, if you particularly feel like no, there's a particular no that I want to respond to and say, not my will, but yours. One, two, three, put your hand up. Thank you. Thank you. Jesus, I thank you for those individuals that have responded. And I just pray, would you come and meet with each and every one of them? I thank you, you know exactly what's going on. And I pray, would you tenderly shepherd them into living into the location that you have for them? And I pray, God, as they live with that sense of not my will, but yours, I pray would they increasingly know that wellness within them. I ask that for your glory, Jesus. Amen.